ministering at the Living Word Ministries in Burksville, Kentucky, the great big city, has had, I don't know, probably 10, 12 dreams that have shaken America. His dreams that have shaken America have shaken America because they are calendar dreams. And I believe that he's a man of God. I believe he's hearing from God. And if we pray, if we fast, if we do our job, I believe that his are warning dreams saying that if you don't pray, if you don't fast, if you don't turn around, these are the things that are coming. But I also believe that many, I'd like to think all, (laughs) of the bad can be prayed away. He's now got a new dream he's just sent to me. I'm reading it for the first time. He's going to explain it to us. Dana Coverstone, welcome back to the Prophecy Club, my brother. Stan, it's always good to be with you. I appreciate your, your friendship and your support. appreciate the ministry that you're involved in and, uh, and your understanding of the biblical timeline and the fact that there are things that are coming and things that are going to shake us to the core, and yet the, the faithfulness and the heart of God for his people is an amazing thing. So thanks for your friendship and all that you're doing for the Lord as well. I I appreciate it. Amen. The microphone is yours. Over the last couple of days, I've been having, I've had several dreams, and this is one I've I've actually prayed through. Anytime I have a dream, it lasts over three or four days usually. And and I pray about them. I I walk them. I pace with those things. I I mean, I sleep with those dreams. I think about them. I I talk about them. I share them with people and, uh, you know, accountability people who pray with me about them. And, uh, this one, um, this one's kind of shaken me because it made me aware of some things in the church that uh, are becoming more and more clear to me over the years and the decades. But I had this dream. I'm calling it the church and state dream. And it's a dream that I had from December 19th to about the 23rd. Here's what I saw. I saw the United States Capitol building, and it was fully lit up, and the tower part had very large arms attached to it. Uh, the arms were muscular arms, and they were had short sleeves and very rough-looking hands, like hands you would see working on farm equipment in the fields, you know, hands that knew work in Greece, hard work. Uh, the building was also flying the flag that Betsy Ross designed with the 13 stars in a circle uh, in, the, in the top left-hand corner. So that was a historical marker for me. Across from the congressional building was a very traditional-style-looking church with the steeple, you know, the bell at the top, that sort of thing. It also had arms. And they were muscular, uh, very similar to the arms in the Capitol building. Both had rough hands and arms that, that knew work, uh, short sleeve work shirts. Um, and the hands were not necessarily dirty, but they were dry and obviously had been working in the fields and on equipment. Uh, so they, they knew how to work, both at Congress, both the Capitol building and both the church. Behind the church, there were standing some religious leaders. I saw men wearing the hats and, and the red cloaks like the cardinals, like Catholic cardinals. I saw early 1900s-style preachers uh, with, the, uh, with the ties like they would wear in the long black jackets and even hats. Uh, behind the Capitol building, there were older-style congressmen and senators from the same time frame. And the clothing and the style seemed, very, seemed a lot mo- more older, late 1700s, early 1800s, that style thing. But they were more professional. And each group was very, very cordial towards each other, you know, shaking hands, waving at each other, getting along. And the hands from both the Capitol and the church, they shook and they seemed to get along, and they stood in their locations and respecting each other, and they were supporting each other uh, like two good friends would. And then suddenly the sky began to, to move extra fast, and it reminded me of the time element sequence in H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. And uh, the scene slowed down, and I noticed the, tap- the Capitol Building arms were now long-sleeved in shirts, and they had very expensive diamond, diamond and gold-looking uh, cufflinks on the, on the cuffs of the, of the, of the shirts, 
Um, they even had manicured hands and the roughness, all that roughness for those congressional hands. They were all soft and, and nice and call, almost like no hands were, were grabbing a plow anymore. The building uh, was well maintained. It was lit once again. looked as if it had been taken care of. It was polished. It was gleaming. And the church appeared to have the same kind of muscled arms, but they still had the rough, dry hands, and they were cracked from working. And the, the hands, though, were in constant motion, constantly doing something. Then the capital suddenly put their hands together firmly and popped their knuckles and pointed at the church in a very accusing way. And the church hands, they, they kept moving and working, and there was even blood on the church hands. And seeming to me was from the sacrifices it made in work. It was sacrifice it had made. It was, it was tough work, hard work. They kept doing it. And the capital hands then went up as if to stop the church from moving forward, because that was what the church was doing, moving forward. And the church stopped in its tracks. And the church hands moved like they were trying to explain that they needed to be get by the capital, uh, but the capital just stood in its way, like, don't move. The church tried to politely make its way around, though, and the capital pushed it down, knocked it actually to the ground. And the church seemed kind of shocked, stayed down for a few minutes and stood back up. It got knocked down again by the capital. Um, the screen, that, that scene replayed itself several times with the church being very cautious but not backing down. And it stood its ground, each time getting more firm in its approach towards the capital. Now, the people behind the church seemed a bit timid. And the people behind the capital started looking rather intimidating with their arms folded and grimaces on their face. And that's when the church popped its knuckles, set its face toward the capital, and tried to walk by the state. And, and this time the church said strongly, hey, we need to get by, we're going to do it right, but we must be allowed to pass. And the state responded very loudly, very clearly, not on our watch. And that was the response. And then the state grabbed the church by the throat, pushed it back down, but the church got back up and pushed against the state. And the, the church bent itself and leaned in the state, was bracing itself against what was coming on. It put its back foot back in place, and both were straining against each other. But as they pushed and contended, it was, it, was, it was almost like a wrestling match. As they contended with another, one of the capital arms slipped a seed. It was just like a black seed, or a, a, just a dark-colored seed that you'd see planted in a field for flowers or something, slipped a seed into the back pocket of the church. At the same time, some of those that were standing behind the church they moved to stand behind the Capitol building. So they, almost like they were changing sides. And the Capitol then said the church to stand down, but the church said we won't. And there was this big standoff, and a large thorny vine was starting to grow out of the back pocket of the church, and it was wrapping around its neck. And the Capitol, upon seeing this, just kind of pushed back from the state and simply let the church just walk right by. Now, the flowers on this vine that were growing, they were red, and they were biting the church. They were wrapping around the legs of the church, and it kept growing. It even got into the mouth of the church and went down its throat until it kind of surrounded its heart. And by, the, by this time, the capital wasn't even looking or concerned about the church. And the church was struggling. And the, the right hand was white, just like a, a solid porcelain-type white. And the left hand was red, just like a burgundy maroon dark red. And uh, the, the vines were also intertwined around the fingers of all the, both the white hand and the red hand. And uh, the, the leaves on the vines appeared to be like they were flags. And all the flags were red, and they had these unusual symbols, and no symbol that I recognized. Just They were waving like a flower, but they appeared to be almost rectangular like a flag. Very unusual symbols on them. And the left hand of the church started pulling the vine out of its throat, but the red hand slapped it away. And this resulted in a fight. So the, the church is fighting itself. And it's struggling with itself, and 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 uh, resulted in a, a fight among the two hands. One tried to protect the vine, and one tried to strip it out of the out of the heart, out of the throat of the church. 
And as the struggle continued, the capital kept looking back at the church, kind of like to assess its strength. But it also kept handing out money and signing bills and shaking hands with business leaders and professional-looking people from, from all the nations. So it wasn't as, as concerned about the church as it was doing business. At that point, the church began to shake very violently, as if it were having a grand mall seizure. And the chest kind of split open. It revealed a heart that had been squeezed almost to death by this vine. It was constricting the heart. And the white hand, a knife suddenly appeared in the, in the, in the white hand, and it pierced the very, red, very very red root that was wrapped around the heart. And the vine began to wither, and the heart began to contract. It was almost like the body went in shock. And the red hand made a fist. It punched the steeple and then tried to grab the white hand, but its strength was fading because you know, the root had been stabbed. And it dropped, that, that hand dropped to the side of the church. And the church took a few steps, and then the white hand pulled the root away uh, from its heart, and it buttoned up its shirt, fell on its knees, and it asked for forgiveness. The church literally got on its knees and asked for forgiveness for allowing that red root. And that's what the words were, forgive us for letting this red root grow in our pockets. And then that Christ figure appeared. He embraced the church. He, he came up and he, just, he held the church. And, and something that's not in my notes, but that I saw was as the shirt got buttoned back up, there was, there was blood running down from the wound. There had been some damage from the wound, and it was bleeding. And, and the Christ figure appeared, and he embraces the church. And as he embraced the church, he's holding the church. The church is looking behind him, but, but Jesus, the Christ figure, is looking towards the state. He said uh, to the capital, he pointed to the capital, and he said, You never wanted the church to succeed, but the gates of hell will not stop her. And those who have seen the root will prune the vine and cut off the poisonous part. And then he turned to the church. He let the church go and looked at her. And he said, be about my father's business. Stay pure and fear not the state, for they know not what they do. The church then walked away slowly past the capital. But after it got past it, it began to run. Just a few yards after the capital, it began to run. Now, both hands on the church were now white. That porcelain white, not like... Not like um, the, the color of skin white. I'm talking porcelain white, like a piece of paper white, unusually white. And uh, they were both white, and they were laying at the feet of the capital. And laying at the feet of the capital was the root of the seed that had been planted in the church's back pocket. It looked like a, it looked like a very very red sweet potato, but it was a root. And then the Christ figure said very clearly, "Stay braced, stay focused." And stay on task, for I am coming soon. That's the last dream that I've had has been on my heart, my mind, for a couple of days now. Uh, it would have been last week when I uh, had the last night of it and been praying through it. I want to share that with you, Stan, because you've been, you've been a good friend. Once again, it's a warning to the church and a wake-up call. Uh, we've seen some things that have come into the church world that are not good, are not godly, are not Christ-like. Uh, we have seen some teaching and some ideas come into the church that are not biblical. And that's why we have some churches that have no problem with abortion. That's why we have some churches that have no problem with gay marriage or, or alternative lifestyles. That's why we have uh, some churches that teach it's okay to do what you want to do. As long as you say a prayer, you're okay. So I've ran into people who 30 years ago said a prayer for salvation that have never changed anything in their life have lived basically like the heathen, but they think they're going to heaven because they said a prayer 30 years ago. And, uh, and I, believe the, I believe the dream really encourages people to address the sin issues in our churches and our fellowships. Um, I saw people at first that were behind the church that were respectable men of God, 
But they, in turn, when the battles began, they changed sides, and they went over to the side of the state. A lot of history right now, and a lot of concerns from people about the separation of church and state. Many people believe that was in the Constitution. It's actually in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a group of, called the, it, was a Dan, it was a letter to the Danbury Baptists, and uh, with some concerns that had been raised about you know religious uh, teachings, religious principles, religious rights and freedoms, and uh, has nothing to do with churches not being able to do certain things, or the state not being able to do, or being able let to do me, Let me jump in here, because I've done a little bit of research on that. Actually, it was the Danbury Baptist, thanks for reminding me which church it was, they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson, and they were saying we're very concerned about the state, whether it's going to do the right thing. And right. Jefferson, as you said correctly, wrote back and said, uh, ma'am, basically you can rest assured that the state is not going to step on the church. And I'm kind of summarizing it. From that letter, the evil came about and said, oh, well, that means that there has to be a separation between church and state. Wrong. That's not the point of the letter. The point was saying that the church is always going to speak into and correct the state, but the state is not going to speak into or to tell or to guide or direct the church. It's always supposed to be the church. You go back and you look in the Old Testament. Who was it that anointed the very first king of Israel, Saul? Who anointed? Why, it was a prophet. It was the church that gave the power and the authority to the king. It was the church that gave the power and authority to the state. That's the way it started. That's the way it's supposed to be. But I believe that your other dream, and if you want to, we can get in and talk about that, is saying that the Constitution and our republic is gone. And now we're existing as a nation, much like Israel did before, before Samuel anointed Saul to be king. In other words, we're one nation under God rather than one nation under the Constitution. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I also think your dream is further confirming that the miracle time is just around the corner. <laughs> I'd like to think days away. Thank you. <laughs> I, I believe that too. And if you look at you know if you look back in history, the reason they anointed Saul to be king was because they wanted to be like all the other nations. Correct. They wanted to walk away from God's plan and God's purpose. Right. The church has always played a huge elemental and important and instrumental role in the history of America as far as education, the medical field. Um, I've got a book on my shelf called What's the Church Ever Done, you know, for for the world. And there's an incredible amount of things that, that the church has had a large role in uh, as far as even architecture, history, um, the medical field, the educational field, uh, dealing with, with uh, rogue nations and things. So uh, a lot of people within the church world have gotten very lazy, very casual, and we have seen a whole lot of liberal ideas, liberal ideology come into the church. Uh, we have seen some some awful, awful teachings, doctrinal things, and uh, I, I had a real interesting thing happen just in the last couple of days, Stan, I want to tell you about. Some, uh, there was a group of seven people that drove up to see me in Brooksville, Kentucky from Denton, Texas. Uh, they're from a Catholic background, and uh, 
one of the ladies that's with them has dreams and visions, and God speaks to her. And uh, we've we've been you know just in correlation for a little while, but nonetheless, they drove all the way to Burksville, Kentucky, to sit down with me and talk for a couple hours, both on Sunday night before service, and last night we broke bread together and had fellowship. And uh, what they were telling me was these are Catholic folks who are excited about what God is doing. They are excited about the Word of God. They are questioning some of the things that are happening, some of the, the liberal ideas that are coming into their church. But they stood behind me. They, they, they got around me and prayed for last night. And two of these, this, this one Catholic couple, laid hands on me and began to pray in tongues. And it, it thrilled my heart because, you know, a lot of times I, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor, so I mostly run in a Pentecostal, you know, boundary lines or whatever. Um, I don't know exactly what happens in a lot of the other mainline churches, like the, 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 the Christian church, the, the, uh, uh, the Baptist church, Methodist churches. I know how the services go in some of those, but I've never been a part of them necessarily. So it's been interesting and wonderful for me to see that there are people in many non-Pentecostal denominations and fellowships yes. that are saying, hey, we're having dreams. Yes. We're, God is showing us there is more, and we're excited and, you know, what, about what God is doing, what he's saying in our lives, in our hearts. He's drawing people. These people are hungry. I mean, hungry to know the truth of God's word. And so that excites me. Uh, yes. Because I believe people have woken up, and not let, just because of things that I've had or anybody else has had. He's waking people up for a for to do something about it. Amen. And by the way, if you haven't heard me interview a guest, I seldom interrupt my guest. I let them talk. If I want to talk, I talk on another program. <laughs> but when I have a guest on, I mostly let them talk. But in this case, I feel like I need to say something. Go right ahead, when, I was raised in, kind of like you, in a Pentecostal, very close to an Assemblies of God type church. And I had been raised that you know, Catholics are all bad. Well, Bob, that bus, bubble got busted when I started going to the full gospel businessmen meetings. And I met some Catholics, some Lutherans, some people of other denominations that are speaking in tongues and they're laying hands on and they're believing and they're right, just like the Pentecostals. Worthy is the Lamb because he was slain, has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and has made us under our God kings and priests. Meaning, the blood of Jesus out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation washes all of our sins away. And yes, yes the Catholic Church has made some mistakes. The Spirit of Prophecy Church has made the Assemblies of God has made some mistakes. Every church, really every fellowship, every denomination has made we, some mistakes. We need yes. to get off of beating up on ourselves. Yes, they've made some mistakes, but pray. And just like this ministry, if you hear something me or Coverstone, if you hear something we say wrong, don't beat us up. Don't send emails trying to scrape all the skin off our back and ruin us. Instead, Lord, help them to find the truth. Pray for us. We appreciate your prayers. Don't become an accuser of the brethren. Back to you. Absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you what, what excites me is that it's, it's not just, it's the Spirit of God that is waking people up. Yes. Well, in the last days, I'll pour my Spirit out on all flesh. That's the words from Joel that God inspired him to say, to write, and for Peter to, to speak and declare on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And that's also the verses that bring us to the point that he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He said, your young men will have visions and your old men will have dreams. And he did not say, oh, and these will only happen in Pentecostal churches. Oh, this will only happen in this denomination's fellowship. Amen. I will part my spirit on all flesh. That means Amen. everywhere, at 
everywhere in any place, any nation. And what excites me the most, Dan, is that we're seeing people from all different fellowships saying, God is waking me up. God is stirring my heart. God is showing me that there is more. And and I can't tell you how wonderful it was to sit at a table last night with uh, seven folks from a Catholic church background that, that traveled to visit me and talk with me about the dreams and visions. And uh, to have them pray, I, mean, I prayed for them, but when they prayed for me, that couple behind me, spirit-filled Catholic people, when they prayed in tongues and they prayed in the spirit, I, you could just feel the presence of God in that room. And there was a kindred spirit among us all. And once again, um, I don't go to Mass. I don't attend other church services as a Son of God pastor. I pastor in a Son of God church, you know, and we have our, set, our core set of doctrines and our ideas and our thoughts. But I am just, I am just so grateful and so thankful that God is letting the Holy Spirit move and work in the lives of so many people from so many denominations and fellowships. I'm, I'm getting emails from people and messages from people saying, I am so hungry. I know there's more. And God is starting to show me the more that there, that there is. Uh, I've got people that are calling, that are talking to their pastors, that they're having dreams and visions. Never had these things before, but suddenly God has been stirring their hearts since around the July-August time frame. People in Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Christian churches, Catholic churches, Presbyterian. Uh, I even had someone from an Anglican church background in England that that basically sent me a message and said, I've been having dreams, Brother Dana, about Jesus. I've been having dreams about the church in England. I've been having dreams about God telling me there's more of him to find. And if I search for him, I'll find it. And these are people from all around the world that God is waking up and stirring. And so I believe as part of that you know, the end-time revival, I believe it's a part of what God is doing, uh, the separation of, of the sheep and the goats. We're seeing that. But I am just grateful. And I mean, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so grateful for the amount of hunger that I'm hearing from people. And for every, every five or six emails that I get that are just tearing me to pieces and shredding me, I'll get 150 to 200 from people that are saying, we believe God's moving in, in the world today. We believe God is waking us up. We have confidence in the dreams and vision, not just my dreams and vision, but the dreams and vision of other people around the nation that are sharing what's going on in their hearts. And uh, God's on the move. So even though things in Washington, D.C. <coughs> excuse me, seem very chaotic and crazy, I mean, I, okay, okay, I live wait, in Berkshire. I've so got a question here. Uh, finish your thought, right. then i got a question for you. You know, I'm living in Burksville, Kentucky, which is two hours north of Nashville, and on Christmas Day there was an explosion. It took out 911 services in our community two hours away. So we, we are living in a, in a nation where chaos is already starting to hit communication systems. We have all sorts of questions about the, the bill that's going to the Senate today and the stimulus package. And, you know, people, uh, there's $70 billion owed right now in back rent and utilities from people who can't pay their rent. So we know a lot of things are going to happen and going to hit all at once. I don't know how fast it's going to be. We live in a chaotic world, but I'm thankful there's a God who's a God of order a God of peace, and a God who will speak to his people and warn them and give them insight into things that are coming and what to do about it. Do you think that America is still at a fork in the road, meaning we still have the choice to either go to darkness or to light? Or do you think that we've already made our choice and stepped to the dark side, meaning most of the bad things you've seen are coming? Or do you think we've already made our step to the light and most of the good things you've seen are coming? I believe that the church woke up, but I also believe that many people have already stopped praying, stopped seeking the Lord's face, have already kind of given up on the election and the process. 
just kind of said, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And they just kind of fold their hands and, and sat back down. And this needs to be the time when we as the church embrace the prayer time, become more intensified in our prayer focus, become more aggressive, more strategic, and more specific in our prayers, and we continue to stay braced. I really believe that we are in the dream I had where we're holding our breath. Because if you say, when will it end, nobody knows. Uh, everybody assumes that, well, okay, January 1st gets here, it's going to change. Well, the date on the calendar is not going to change anything. Oh, well, January 20th, once the new president's inaugurated, everything will change. Well, I think we all know better based on the, on the, on the year we've had of 2020. Um, this is going to take some big things to happen to change everything. We still have a lot of people out of work, a lot of people sick. The headlines, and I'm saying this, I'm, I'm going to say this accurately, the headlines are declaring mutant strains of COVID. The headlines are declaring that hospitals are full. The headlines are declaring things that I saw in, you know, in the first two, couple of dreams. So there's a lot of question, a lot of fear, a lot of concerns, and we're still having to wear masks. There's vaccines out there. There's talk of you know, forced vaccinations and things like that. So we have chaos all around us, and people want to know when it's going to end. We don't know. So Okay. Do you God, think Trump is going to get back in? All I'm going to say is I, the dream that I had, I saw headlines. You know, Trump, Trump victory challenged in court, which we've seen that. We've definitely seen that. And the obvious winner is not so obvious. You've got both sides, uh, both sides that are saying all sorts of things. All I know is we live in a very confusing world. You've got an attorney general calling for anyone who, who worked for Donald Trump and is, going, is questioning the election process. An attorney general is basically calling for them to be disbarred, all because they took a case to try to prove there may have been election fraud. None of the courts have looked at the cases or the evidence. So we live in a very, very strange world, which is why I think January 6th could be either the start of something big or a big day in and of itself. Um, all I know is my faith is in the Lord. My faith is not in a, in, a, in a president. My faith is not in a party. My faith is not very much even more in, in a government system because our system is so corrupt. But I believe that the Lord is raising up people to pray to be encouraged to be in the word and to stand and to hold to the values that God's you know given us through his word and to speak and preach and declare and establish those values in the watching world around us because we are light and salt and if there's ever been a time when the church needs to be light and salt it is absolutely today we cannot keep compromising we cannot keep bowing down in fear and we cannot surrender um to the values of the state. We have our own, and, and, and God's laws are higher. You know, the natural laws that come from God are higher than any man-made or appointed or dictated or mandated law on the part of man. And so <clears throat> I believe we're coming to a place where we're going to see greater opposition to our values, greater opposition to our theology, greater opposition to uh, biblical foundations that we stand on and believe in and, and want to share and declare. And I think we're going to have a greater amount of censorship coming to the church and to the body of Christ when we begin to question some of the things that are out there. Uh, even in just the last couple of weeks, anytime I mention uh, vaccination or election, I, I've, has, I've had several of my prayer times that have been censored because I've said things about the election or the vaccinations. Uh, I've never said, hey, you should not get this. I've made my position and my point clear. I made it clear by saying what I planned on doing or not doing. But, uh, and I do see, I've said this in my Persecuted Church podcast, I believe that the vaccination could very well be the first stage of opposition or persecution against the American church because the primary group of people who will, who will oppose a forced vaccination are going to be Bible-believing Christians, 
people who are concerned about the beast, people who are the mark of the beast, people who are concerned about not giving in to that type of tyranny. And so it will be, you know, those homeschool believers, Christians, church attenders, people that love Jesus who are going to say, ah, not for me. You're not putting that in my arm. And I believe that out of that, we'll see a lot of persecution and opposition begin uh, on the part of the state because of, the, you know, those people just will not comply and they're going to make everybody sick and they're going to make everybody sicker. And they, you know, those people shouldn't be allowed to even go to the doctor or drive or go to work if they don't get the vaccination. So that's going to lead to a lot of potential opposition. The so, big, the three big questions on people's mind are the two senators in Georgia going to be both Republican, Democrats, or split? Second question, what's going to happen at the Electoral College? Basically, is Trump going to be our next president? If we look at the election nationwide and the thousands of affidavits that have been signed by people who said we saw fraud, if we had the amount of voter fraud that potentially happened, we know that there's already a lot more votes cast in Georgia for the runoff than typically has been in the past. But if we just follow what we've seen so far, there should be some concerns about what happens in the Georgia runoffs. And I'm hoping that it will provide greater scrutiny from both the press, the poll watchers, scrutiny from those that are actually wanting to see a, an election that's fair and honest and not rigged at all. 